you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation on all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So this story may be a little bit familiar to people, but maybe not completely familiar. It's sort of what I think of as a prologue to a really fast-paced action movie that's about to start. It's part of our lectionary, so you've heard it before. That lectionary is that three-year cycle of passages that come up. But I'm guessing that what happens afterwards makes you completely forget this slave girl and her spirit of divination. You see, right afterwards, Paul and Silas get seized, thrown into prison, beaten, and then convert all the prisoners using their words and their songs and their hymns. And then all of a sudden there's an earthquake. I don't know what that says about their singing choir. And all of the prisoners are let free. So you can see why this slave girl at the beginning of this passage is completely lost in the longer story. I encountered her on my first semester here in Boston, and I actually wrote a paper on her. I'm not going to read it to you this morning. And, and I thought she was so curious because she just has these three short verses. And as I researched and wrote this paper, I got a little attached to her. I gave her a name because she didn't have one in the text. I started calling her Pydiske. And, and I was kind of, it was hard for me to turn in that paper because I was so attached to her, but I did. And this week has been a little bit of a reunion for me with her, so it's been kind of fun. We don't know that much about her. As I said, her name isn't there. Pydiske, the name I gave her, is what the Greek text calls her. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, I've heard that the Greek word for slave is doulos, which is the common one we see. But Pydiske tells us a little bit more. It tells us she was female, and it tells us she was young. So we know that much about her. We also know she had a spirit of divination, and that's one of those phrases we read in the New Testament, and it gets tossed by us, like, oh yeah, I know what a spirit of divination is, but what is it really? Again, if you look at the Greek, you get a little more information. It calls her a Pythian spirit of divination. The Pythian, or the Python, was affiliated with Apollo. And some of you may have heard of the Oracle of Delphi that belonged to Apollo and was affiliated with Apollo. So we know that there's some kind of connection there. We don't exactly know what it is. The, the Apollo at Delphi was one of seven major uh, oracles in the ancient world. And we know about those through a story of King Croesus, who sent out seven messengers to test all the oracles. And he sent them out and said, at the same time, I want you to ask the oracle, what is the king doing? And according to the legend, the oracle at Delphi had the most accurate answer. So that's the one King Croesus decided to use from that point on. The problem with the oracle at Delphi is that it was really expensive to do that. You're general, average Roman could never have afforded to go to the oracle at Delphi and seek help. So there were these women, usually, who had spirits of divination who went from town to town, and they would answer all the little questions that the people had. Should I marry my daughter to the shepherd next door? Or 
Should I wait two weeks before I plant my crops? It's still kind of cold. So those were the kinds of questions that this Hydiske would have had to answer. And we also know from the text that she was probably pretty good at it because she earned a lot of money for her owners. So that implies she did a good job or she wouldn't be earning that much money. Now these would have been people who were itinerant going from town to town. They wouldn't have had a home or anything like that. They would sleep in inns and, and any space they could rent. So she encounters Paul and Silas, and she can't stop from following them around. This spirit that has control of her, over her, the text tells us, is following, making her follow them around and shout and proclaim, you are servants of the Most High God, over and over and over again for days on end. It was probably embarrassing for her. Certainly it was embarrassing for Paul and Silas. And finally, what does Paul do? He gets annoyed with her and casts the, the spirit out. So she's had this encounter with Paul, and now all of a sudden, she's free. Her voice is free. It's no longer controlled by this spirit. She can say what she wants and not what the spirit wants. She's been given her voice in the community. She experiences what they call a narrative death. We see her in this very short passage, and then we never hear what happens to her. But I have a different ending, of course, since she's my friend. <laughs> I think she actually didn't have a narrative death, but she began a new life, a life where she had her own voice, where she could share what happened with others, what happened between her and Paul, and she could help other people. We don't really know that the, her owners were angry. We know that. That's why Paul and Silas ended up in jail. And they might have sold her, but they wouldn't have gotten as much profit as they paid for her. They didn't have a house for her to become a house slave, so we really don't know. But whatever she did, she now had her own voice to use and her own voice in the community. It's sort of a theme we've been going on. I think we, we mistakenly found it this year. But when Ken arrived, he offered to give everybody a voice, a one-on-one -on -one with him in this community. And he's still doing that. So it's not too late. If you hadn't, haven't had your chance to meet with Ken, he will meet with you and you can get your voice in his ear that way. But then we also set up special times after worship. And we asked people to come together and talk about our areas of ministry. We wanted to hear about exalting and deepening and gathering. And what am I missing? Stretching. And so we got into groups and we said, what do you want to see happen? We want to hear from you what you want to happen. We want you to have a voice in this process. And then we went on retreat together in January. We went all the way down to Willett Hall. And and we, we talked more about these plans, and we got more people to contribute. And we said, well, what's realistic? What are our priorities? What do you think we could really achieve? And we had a, no, a whole new list of priorities. So what did we do with that? We needed more voices. So we went to the staff and the ministry teams, and we said, here's what the people want to do. What should we do with this? And out of that meeting came the stewardship team. 
that gathered together and said, let's make a priority. Let's put some numbers and dollar signs onto these wish lists, and let's create our wish list of what to do, which is the result of that beautiful brochure that Kent has that he's hiding. So I really encourage everybody to pick it up. If you're a visitor, pick this up. It's going to tell you more about this church than any of us can right now. And finally, we also have set up these thinking forward sessions that are happening after church. They ha there was one a couple of weeks ago, and there's one today, where we will present this information in a hopefully cohesive format so you can see what this church is up to and what we're trying to achieve. And then the next steps are coming. How else can you spread your voice in this community? What else can you do? At some point, you have to put your money where your voice is or your money where your mouth is. And that's the next step as far as pledging and stewardship. And I imagine there are some people maybe sitting here thinking, I'm a first-time visitor. What have I got myself into? <laughs> but we need your voice. We need you to come to the Thinking Forward session. We need new eyes on this PowerPoint. We want to hear what you have to say. You can find things in it that we can't see anymore because we've looked at it so much. And there might be somebody else sitting out there thinking, well, I've been coming to UP. I've been a visitor for so long. What possibly could I have to add to this? Well, you can add by joining. If you haven't joined, consider joining the church now. On June 22nd, we will be voting on the leadership going forward in this church. And we'll be voting on the budget. And you can add your voice to the church by being a part of that. And there might be some people out there who are sitting and thinking, well, I've been a member forever. My children went through this church. I tithe. I give as much as I can. And there's a big question right there. What more can you give? And that is something only you can answer, whether it's your time and your resources. But I think that everyone has a chance to add their voice to this mix. There's not a single voice in this room that can't somehow contribute to this. There are a lot of people out there in the world who have no voice. Tydiske was just one of them. And she was given a voice. She was given the ability to contribute to her community. Did she do it? I don't know. That's a big question. And so we leave here today with the question of, how are you going to contribute your voice to this community? Will you do it? I don't know. But in the next few weeks, we'd love for you to pray about it to discern if this is the right place, if this is the right time in your life to contribute a little more. I think Tydiske, besides the fact that I really like her and I'm fond of her, has a lot to teach us. And I think as she hopefully used her voice for good in the society, so can we.